Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. My name is Chris, and we're so glad that you chose to uh, hang out with us today. And uh, if you are a middle school student and uh, you would like to be a part of our middle school experience, uh, during the teaching time, uh, kids that are uh, grade 6 to 8, we have a middle school experience for them. Um, Right back to uh, your right, my left, uh, Don Richmond is there, who is our um, uh, middle school uh, director, and uh, you can go back there and hang out with her and have fun, or um, you can stay with me, but uh, you would have more fun probably there. Um, so if you want to do, adults, don't leave though, okay? Uh, I, I saw some of you adults thinking about it, so don't do that, but if you could do that. And parents, when you're done, you can pick them up in the community room, uh, which is right by the elevator, and uh, you can connect with them there. Well, I'd like to begin uh, this morning by asking you this question. Have you ever experienced a time in your life in which you thought to yourself that I'm not perfect? Okay? Anyone ever experienced a time in their life, raise your hand, where you realize that you are not perfect? Okay. Uh, most hands went up, but not every hand. Those hands that didn't go up, what do we call them? Liars. Liars, that's right. Now, if you're here for the very first time, I didn't call you a liar. Somebody beside you did, okay? Um, But the truth is, folks, is that we all struggle with the fact that we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect, and we don't always measure up. We don't always hit the mark. We don't always come exactly to the expectations that we're asked for. Now, for many of us, uh, we learn that we're not perfect Uh, when we're in our adolescence. When we become uh, a teenager, that's when this usually comes about. For example, for me, it took place in the eighth grade. Uh, In the seventh grade, I was a really good student, and uh, they actually moved me up to advanced classes, including advanced English. Um, Can't say ain't in advanced English, okay? And uh, I, I... did really well in seventh grade, and before eighth grade started, um, I was strutting around the house thinking, you know what, I'm not in that regular group anymore, I am advanced. And uh, I was so excited about uh, being in this class, and so the first day of class came, fourth period, English, advanced, I walk in and I realize at the very beginning that I am out of place and I am not perfect. Because every kid that I saw had a shirt that had this alligator on it. And it was Izod. And there were these penny loafers that uh, everyone was wearing with these little pennies in their shoes. And I walked in, and I had a sports t-shirt on, and I had Kmart track shoes. Okay, Uh, Those were the ones that looked like Adidas, but they added an extra stripe, so they really weren't Adidas. And I walked into uh, eighth grade, and then all of a sudden, there was a person that walked in as well, and it was this lady uh, right here. Uh, This was Mrs. Morell, the old bat. (laughs) I'm sorry, she wasn't really an old... No, she was. But anyway... um, And she walked into the classroom, and the very first thing that she did was she drew something up on the chalkboard that looked like this. Anybody know what this is? Yeah, you weren't in advanced English, were you? I could tell. This is a sentence diagram, and she put this on the board, and I had no clue what she was talking about. 
Because this didn't make sense at all to me because we had never done that in English class. And I was struggling. I didn't have a clue the entire six weeks. And uh, she didn't have any time for me at all. And she would patronize me all the time. She'd walk back and say, hey, I'm not getting this. And she'd pat me on the arm and she'd say, well, it's okay. Just do the best that you can. That's why she got the name the bat. Uh, and she would just, you know, kind of do this uh, all the time. And it would be very, um, you know, uh, discouraging to me. Well, I didn't know how to diagram a sentence, so I actually decided, well, I knew how to make a diagram, and so this is what I put on my paper. <laughs> Tic-tac-toe, and I tried to get some other people around me to play it, but they were all advanced, and obviously I wasn't, and they wouldn't do this. So I started playing tic-tac-toe by myself all the time. Now, if you do that for six weeks, folks, you become an expert at tic-tac-toe. And I was. I was great by the end of the six weeks. But at the end of the six weeks there was also a grade that was going to come, and this is the grade that I got, a D. But I had learned from my uh, brother and sister that there was a way to make a D a much better grade, not an F, but something that looks like this. You just (laughs) add it in the middle. And uh, I did that, and my parents were not happy. But anyway, you know, I just did not fit in in this group. I wasn't perfect. Have you ever had an experience in your life where you failed at something or you were in a group of people and you realized very quickly that you were not perfect? That you didn't measure up. You didn't look as great as you thought you could. You, you thought that there was a, a sense of being able to meet an expectation and you didn't meet it. And the fact is, is that you had this real sense that you did not belong. You know, 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came to earth and he started his public ministry, he wasn't seeking people who were perfect. He was trying to seek people who would simply open their hearts enough to say, I'll belong, I'll belong. And Jesus said loudly and he said it over and over again, you belong and you belong and you belong and you all belong. Will you come and have a relationship with me? He was like, I don't care what you've done, where you've been, what you've thought. He wasn't so much concerned about people trying to be perfect as he was for them to simply feel like they belonged because Jesus chose to be with people exactly where they were at. So what is it that made this possible? Why was it that people were so attracted to him that 2,000 years later, you're sitting in an auditorium because there's something within your life that you want to know him a little bit more? And it's a thing that he, he did at the very beginning of his movement. He had three values that he said, we're going to live by this over and over again. And we talked about them last week as well. This is the heart of the church. Everybody's welcome. Nobody's perfect. And anything's possible. And last week we said, everybody's welcome. It doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done or what you've not done. You are welcome. And next week we're going to talk about anything's possible. And we want to encourage people that you come and you invite somebody because God's going to, we have a surprise for you and God's going to move in a great way. And you're going to want to be here because some of you are longing for some prayers to be answered. And God wants to do that because anything's possible with God. But today what we want to look at is this concept of nobody's perfect. 
that nobody's perfect. And actually, that's our big idea this morning, is that nobody's perfect. And you can fill that out in your program or on the JAR app as well. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Now, uh, just to make sure that we all understand this, because some of you may not remember that in a little while, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you. Uh, If there's not someone beside you, look behind you or in front of you, and just uh, tell them, Nobody's perfect. Okay, go ahead. Okay, let's do it one more time. Nobody's perfect. And then just say this, including you. Okay? Now, now, hey, you're having too much fun with that. All right. Now, the reality is that deep down inside each one of us, we realize that we're not perfect. And if we know that, folks, then why in the world do so many of us spend so much of our life trying to pretend that we're better than we actually are? I mean, we work very, very hard at trying to control what other people see in us. It might be the way that we dress. It might be the car that we drive. It might be the things that we put on our resume. It might be what we put on Facebook. It might be what we put on Twitter. It might be what we put on Instagram. Have you ever noticed that everything that's on social media makes people look perfect? You don't take, like if you took a picture of me right now, you'd like, man, Bunch is getting old. He's bad. So we don't do that. We take 500 different pictures and then finally we're like, that's the one. That one right there, that is the, that's the one. And so we have perfect pictures, and we have perfect stories, and we have perfect kids. I know some of your kids, okay? <laughs> and, and we just make everything perfect in the midst of that. I mean, the reality is that what we focus on is image management. How can we make our image better so that we can be known as the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect parent, the perfect friend, the perfect employee, the perfect student. And yet all the while, this is what is true, folks. There is an ever-increasing gap between what we put on and what we cover up. There is an ever-increasing gap between what we put on, what we show to the world, and who we actually are. This past Wednesday, there was a holiday. What was it? Look at that. Yeah, Halloween. And uh, on Halloween, we love Halloween because in our communities and in our country, uh, all these kids go out and they dress up and they put on masks. And they get to pretend like there's someone that they're not. Now, the truth is, when we eventually become adults, most of us don't get dressed up, take a trick-or-treat bag, and go door-to-door asking for candy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) See, it happened in the first two. Someone said, nope, I have. Yeah, okay. But eventually, as an adult, we we eventually stop wearing a costume. We stop trick-or-treating. But this is the thing, folks. We don't stop wearing masks. In fact, if there's anything that we do as human beings that we perfected is wearing a mask. And I don't know why that is. 
But this is what I know, that even in the church, we have a tendency to want to make ourselves look better than who we are, to pretend that we're more than we are. This past week, there was a woman in our church who's been a Christ follower for many years, a leader in our church, very talented, very gifted, just an amazing woman. And she walked in, and uh, her husband uh, walked in as well, and we sat down, and she said, I've been wearing a mask for the past two months. And at that point, I just kind of listened to her a little more, and then this is what she said. She said, two months ago, I was fired from my job, and I've worked my entire life, and I've never been fired. I've always been a model employee. But two months ago, I got fired, and I have been hiding it from everyone. And each day, I get more depressed, and I get more discouraged But each day I want everyone else to think that my life is okay. I don't want other people to know. And so I pretend that I still have a job. I don't want anyone to think that I don't have it all together, that somehow I lost something. I want people to think that I'm still perfect. But I've done it for two months, and depression is setting in now, Chris. And now the reality is in my life, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I don't want to keep pretending anymore. I don't want to wear a mask. And about that time, she started tearing up. And I asked her husband, I said, hey, let's pray. And we prayed. And then when she walked out of my office, it's a big idea today, but it's what I told her. I said, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. And some of you today, that's what you need to hear. Nobody's perfect. Folks, both inside and outside the church, nobody's perfect. The problem with the church sometimes is that we walk into a place and we try to act like we're more than we are, and it's a fake, it's a facade. But the true church is the church that says, you know what, I'm going to take off the mask and be who I am, and people will love me and accept me exactly where we were at, because that's the church that Jesus died for. In fact, the whole reason that Jesus left heaven to come to earth was so that the church would model to the rest of the world that we don't have to wear our mask anymore. Jesus came to let everybody know that nobody's perfect. You don't have to wear a mask in front of him. That you don't have to fake it in front of him. There's no need to pretend anymore. And that's why we have been talking about going to this well because the well... And our story at the well is imperative to understanding what we're talking about today. If you were here last week, remember we talked about a story of a a woman who was a Samaritan. Samaritans were despised. They were looked down upon. They were the lowest of the rung. Nobody wanted anything to do with them. And Jesus, who's a rabbi, a teacher of the law, out of anyone, he should not be found at a well with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. And yet it's at that place where Jesus has a conversation. And I want to illustrate to you uh, through a map kind of what was going on. Before he meets the woman at the well, Jesus and all of his disciples, his friends, are down here in Judea, and they've got to come up here to Galilee to the top. Now, the thing is, though, no good Jew in Judea or Galilee would ever go through Samaria. 
Because those people were half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and they were half-pagans. And they molded it together and they did not believe in the one true God. And so if you were a teacher like Jesus and you were in Judea, what you would do is you would do your Google Maps and the shortest way is to go right through it. But you'd say, no, 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 I want an alternative route. You know, I want the Google alternative route. I want to bypass this. And so you would go around the edge of Samaria and then you would go to Galilee where Jesus would meet some of his family and where his hometown was. And this is where we pick up the story. So Jesus left Judea and he went back once more to Galilee, to his hometown, his home region. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Now, what I'd like you to do is to underline this phrase right here. He had to go through Samaria. Because it is the key to this entire story. He had to go through Samaria. Now, the question really becomes is this. Did Jesus really have to go through Samaria? Well, no. Uh, We'll go to the map again. He could have easily gone around the outside. It would have been wise for him to do that because he was a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. He shouldn't go through the middle of all of the chaos and all of the despised people. He should go the other way. But Jesus gets the disciples together and he says, boys, we're going straight through. We're going straight through and we're going to stop where there are people that you want nothing to do with because I have a divine appointment with someone. And then verse uh, 5, it goes on to say, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Now, you and I will read this story in our 21st century American context, and we're like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. But we lose some details. But if you were an ancient person during this time, there would have been some details in the midst of this story that you'd have been like, whoa! I mean, it would have just enlightened you greatly. And here's the details. First of all, the well was outside the city. Secondly, she was all alone. And then third, it happened at noon. Now, why is this so strange? Because to us, it doesn't seem strange. Well, this is why. Well, first of all, there certainly would have been a well in the city. Guaranteed. Where are all the city people going to get their water? They don't want to go somewhere. They want it in the city. So it's outside the city. Secondly, we know that women always in that culture went together to go get the water. In our culture, it's women going to the restroom, okay? You know, if one goes, they all go. You know what I mean? And in the same way, that's the way it was. They did it for protection, but also they did it with the sense that we could help each other out. And then finally, they do it at, she goes to the well at noon. Why? Why would she go at noon? Because we know the best time to do this was either in the morning when it was cool or in the evening when it was cool. Why would they go then? So, 
Why is this woman outside the city, all alone, at noon, at a well, trying to get water? Why? Well, folks, this is the truth about Jesus. Is that there was something about this setting when he walked into it that he knew already because he is God. He knew that this woman was an outcast. She had been excluded from her community. There was something about her story, something about her past, something about her life in general, her imperfection, her shame, that made her have to go to the well outside the city by herself at noon. And here's what's so amazing about Jesus. He goes directly to the well. And this is the reason why. Because when Jesus goes to wells, he's not looking for perfect people. When Jesus goes anywhere throughout his ministry, he was not looking for perfect people. When Jesus went anywhere, he was looking for hurting people, broken people, people who were discarded, people who thought they had it all together but were simply wearing a mask. He went to wells to be able to meet people exactly where they were at. People like you, people like me, people that are not perfect because nobody's perfect. You see, Jesus doesn't try to avoid the situation. He doesn't try to avoid the woman. He actually engages with her. There's a conversation to be had. He actually becomes vulnerable and he asks her, can you give me a drink? Then the conversation goes on. If you knew the gift of God, what a great gift, he says. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. In other words, he says, I'm going to tell you about what this living water is because it's so important. And then it goes on. The woman says this, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty, and have to keep coming here to draw water. Can you hear the desperation in her voice? She's like, sir, please, please, please help me to have a place where I can have living water to where I don't have to go outside the city at noon by myself because every time I do, everybody in the village They are reminded of my story, my past, my mistakes, and I'm avoided. And this is the thing I think the lady was saying. That each time I go to the well, I've got to put on a mask. I've got to put on a mask to look like I'm something different than I am so that people won't see, but I know they see, and I know they see, and I know they see. And so I just keep putting on the mask and putting on the mask and putting on the mask. You ever put on masks before? Have you ever had a struggle in your life or a problem in your life or something that you did in your past, and then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I'm just going to wear a mask. I'm not going to wear it forever. I'm just going to wear it long enough until finally things are kind of brought back together, until I can get through this, until I can get out of this. 
And I wonder today, maybe some of you are feeling that today. Well, this is how Jesus responds to this broken lady. He says this. Then Jesus told her, go, call your husband and come back. That's a little awkward. I bet there was like this weird silence. She's like, call my husband. We'll find out in a little bit why, but call my husband. Um, Wow, Jesus, when we were talking about this living water thing, everything was really good, and I like that, but now all of a sudden you're kind of meddling a little bit. You're kind of prying, kind of getting up in my business a little bit. I, I don't really like where this is going, so why does Jesus say this? Because what Jesus wanted to do more than anything else was he wanted to confront what was controlling her. Jesus wants to talk to her. Why in the world are you at this well? Everybody in our culture knows why you're there, but you say it, why are you there? And so she kind of calculates, okay, he asked me, go get your husband, so I'll respond. And this is what she says. She says, I have no husband, she replied. Which is true. And then Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. What an interesting response from this lady. I have no husband. Because it's true. It's absolutely true. She she doesn't have a husband. But this is a true statement as well, folks. It was simply a truth that hides the truth. She simply stated a truth that actually hides the truth. And that's what happens in our spiritual life so often. I can't tell you how many people I know that are good people, respectable people, church-going people, who live behind a truth, they live behind a truth that hides the real truth. This is what it sounds like. Well, hi, I'm Sally, and I have a great job, and I work really hard. All of that's true. But the truth it hides is this. I need a lot of validation in my life because my entire life I felt like I was ugly and unwanted. Or, hi, my name's Sam, and, uh, you know, I have a really successful business, and things are going really well. I have it all together. It looks like that, which is true. But the truth it hides is I really, quit, I really feel quite insecure. I've always been afraid that I'm just one bad deal away from losing it all and I won't have it and so I'm insecure and no one will like me if that happens and I'm living a very lonely life. Or, hi, my name's Steve. I'm going through a really, really hard time right now, but I'll get through it, which is true. But the truth that it hides is the way that I'm coping with my pain each night is I drink a 12-pack and then I do drugs. Folks, let me ask you this. Why is it so hard for us to tell the truth? 
Well, I think this is why. Because for some of us, we have gotten so good at avoiding the truth by using the truth that hides the truth. We've gotten so good at avoiding the truth, using the truth to simply hide the truth. For others of you, maybe it's because you're afraid of the truth. You're afraid if I tell the truth in this situation, someone might not like me. My reputation will be tarnished. We're afraid that if we tell the truth, there might be some real consequences to telling that truth. And so what do we do? We hide, we pretend, and we wear a mask. We wear a mask. To which Jesus comes to us today And he says, let's stop avoiding it. Let's actually go right after this thing. Let's dive into this. Let's go to that part of your life that you want to hide, that you want to pretend, that you want to escape from, that you want to run away from. And Jesus says, that's where I want to meet you. That's the places where I want to meet you. When I come to the well, I want to see who you are, exactly where you're at. The good, the bad, the ugly. Why? Because nobody's perfect. And that includes you, and that includes me. Folks, the reason Jesus brings this woman's past up, because sometimes we're like, wow, it's kind of mean of Jesus. Jesus brings this up, not because he's trying to condemn this woman. He's actually trying to redeem her to make her look new as she was created to be. Because at the very moment that this woman has to confront who she is and what she has done, she receives the thing that she has been missing the most, the thing that would absolutely change her life. And it's one thing that only the God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, can give. And it's this. It's grace. It's only grace, and this is what grace says. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That God is simply head over heels in love with you. And so when Jesus goes to this well, he goes with the intention of giving her grace to let her know that no matter what you've done, no matter what your story, no matter why you're at the well, no matter what your past is, Jesus is standing there saying, I accept you, I love you. I believe in you. Folks, Jesus came for broken people because nobody is perfect. Which is why he said, I'm not going around the bypass. I'm not going the alternative route. I'm going directly through Samaria. That's why he left heaven to come to earth. And that's why for some of you, you need to know in this auditorium, God's Spirit is present right now and He's seeking you out because He wants to show you His love. This woman discovers at the well that her worth is not defined by her past. Her worth is not defined about her story. Her worth is defined by how Jesus sees her in spite of her past. And that's the truth for all of us. Jesus sees us 
in spite of our past. You know, deep down, I think that we struggle with this concept of the truth in our lives is because we're confused about what is it that really makes us worthy of love. We believe that we're loved because of what we've done. We believe we're loved because of what we believe. We believe we're loved because somehow we've earned it. We believe we're loved because of our behavior. But I want to tell you this morning, that's not why you're worthy of love. Folks, your worthiness has nothing to do with your achievements, your accomplishments, your appearance, none of that. It has nothing to do with your intelligence, how smart you are. It has nothing to do with how you behave or what you believe. It has nothing to do with how Christian you might think you are. And how do we know this? Because Paul, maybe the closest follower of Jesus, who wrote close to half of the New Testament, this is what he said. He said, it is, for it is by what? What's the next word? Grace. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Those words right there are the exact words that were in the story of the woman at the well. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Nobody's perfect. Which is why Jesus says there finally has to be a time in your life where you have to decide that I'm simply going to take off the mask. But this is what I found with grace. A lot of times it's very hard for people to accept it and what they want to do is they want to pick back up the mask again. Well, somehow I could earn it. Somehow I could pretend it. And then we throw it down. And then we're like, oh, no, 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 no. I I need to pick back up. I need to look better than I actually am. Folks, this is the truth. The God of the universe knows everything about you. And he loves you anyway. Which is why you can dare to share your brokenness to him. You can dare to share your struggles. You can dare to share your imperfections. And this is exactly what the Samaritan woman does. Let's look at the end of the story. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Come, see a man who has told me everything About me. You know, I think that's what should be on every banner and should be every motto of every Jesus church there is. Come, see a man who knows everything about me. Nobody's perfect, and he welcomes everyone. You know, throughout my time as a uh, pastor here at the jar, if I had to define what is the one mask that I've probably worn more than any other, I would say it's false confidence. I put on a mask to see myself much more confident and together than what I actually am. 
all the while on the inside, I have this fear that the church is going to collapse almost each and every week, and I'm going to be seen as the biggest failing pastor of all of Delaware County. Now, much of this is because I have a tendency to be tempted to put my identity with the attendance of this church. And so if the attendance is high, I feel great. If it's not, then somehow it's not. And to put your identity with something you don't have control over, only God does, is insane. So I just want you to know, you're listening to an insane pastor right now, okay? <laughs> and so, folks, this is what is true about me. I feel completely inadequate. I feel imperfect to stand here each week. From the outside, people will tell me all the time, oh man, it's so great. You started with six people in your house and now it's at 380 people and you're a good, engaging teacher and I love your leadership and all these things are told to me. But what they fail to see is the scaredy cat that almost every Saturday night and Sunday morning, I wonder if there's anything that I could be able to translate from the God of the universe to let people know how amazingly in love he is with each one of you. You see, this is the truth about Chris Bunch. I live with a fear almost daily that I won't be able to pull off the roles of being a husband and being a father and being a pastor. And I can't escape the fact that there is certain failure, just one decision that I make that will make it all cave in. But I have a feeling that in an auditorium with this many people here today, I bet that I'm not the only one who has a tendency to wear masks and tends to try to pretend and be something more than what I actually am. I have a feeling that there are many of you that in the same way, guess what? You do that. But if you're a mask wearer, this is what I want you to know. You're not alone. You know, the parts of the Bible that encourage me the most are the ones where Jesus chooses his followers. He chooses people to come and to be a part of his ministry. If you read the Bible, the first thing you'll notice is when he's doing this choosing piece, he doesn't pick who you think he would. Of the chosen people that he called to share his message to the corners of the earth, he did not pick the spiritual elite, the people who were the most intelligent. Jesus didn't take the best-looking, the most talented, the best-educated, the most likely to succeed. Jesus chose ordinary, sinful, insecure, imperfect people just like you and just like me. He chose smelly fishermen and prostitutes and politicians and crooked accountants. And he even chose a Samaritan woman who was at a well longing to simply have someone care about her. The people that Jesus reached out to were people who no one else thought could do something, and yet he believed in him, believed in them. They were not the ones that you would think were going to be the saints of the church. 
They were the cheaters, the liars, the partiers of his day. He surrounded himself with the lowest, the poorest, the outcast. And the religious people despised him. And that's what encourages me. So if you've ever felt like that before, or you've had other people in your life say, you're not enough, you're too stupid, you're not smart enough, you're not wealthy enough, you're too sinful, you're too mistake prone. If you ever feel like you don't measure up, you don't meet the mark, you don't make the expectations, remember this, this is what Jesus says about you. Nobody's perfect, but God still chose me and he loves me. And that's what you need to add to your big idea this morning. It's not just that nobody's perfect, but nobody's perfect. But God still chose me and he loves me. In fact, Jesus said these words. He said, you didn't choose me, remember? I chose you. You didn't choose Jesus. You didn't choose Jesus. He chose you. He looks down from heaven and he chose you. And why did he choose you? He chose you to love you. And God says this, I will love you with an everlasting love. Folks, God chose to love us not because we were perfect. He chose to love us because we're imperfect. And his love is never ending. Because we definitely do have a perfect God. But we are simply his imperfect kids. But this is the thing about the God of heaven. He doesn't mind your imperfections. He just doesn't want you to hide anymore. He doesn't want you to pretend anymore. He doesn't want you to wear masks anymore. He simply says, come just as you are. Don't hold on to your past. Don't hold on to your insecurities. Don't hold on to your own understanding. He says, hold simply only unto me because I'm the one who chose you. I'm the one who will always, always My life is in the hands
this morning, God, not because we put our lives back together or because we really even know what we're doing, but because somehow, God, you choose to love us in spite of ourselves. Jesus, your presence, your spirit is in this auditorium today. And the reason it is because you've come to where people are broken and hurting and maybe they've been wearing a mask and maybe they look like they're achieving all kinds of things. But deep down inside, God, they just would love to have the peace of God in their life. And so you come today and you rush in our midst because you love us. And Jesus, today we realize that nobody's perfect. We're tired of pretending. We're exhausted of having to change a mask. So right now, God, just where we're at, would you help us to surrender to you? That for some of you, maybe it's a a first-time surrender where you say, you know what, I want to give my life to the maker of heaven and earth. I don't want to lean on my understanding anymore, God. And I trust that when I surrender to you, you'll make something beautiful out of me. So today, God, I pray that every single person in this place would know that they're fully loved, fully accepted, fully worth dying for. And so maybe you're here today and you've never decided to have a relationship with Jesus. The reality is you thought when you went to a well and Jesus met you there, he was going to condemn you and put you down and say, you got to get better, you got to get better, you got to get better. And you didn't realize that when you came to the well that he actually would be there to say, I accept you right where you're at, but be honest with me. And if that's you today where you're ready to say, I surrender my life to God today, that you would just be able to say to him, I need you in my life. I need your touch. I need your forgiveness. I need this kind of grace in my life today. If that's you, then I invite you to pray a prayer after me. And maybe for some of you, you've drifted away from God and you've drifted back now, but you've not made a commitment. But today could be that day. And so I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. And we don't pray alone here at the jar. We always pray in unison and community. And so I invite you to simply pray this prayer after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Even though I'm not perfect, I give my life completely to you. Jesus, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. Touch my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not over. Today I give it completely to you. Now you have my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.